I greet you in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. It's the name above every name. From our time together in revival meetings not too long ago, we were taught from the Word of God that Jesus emptied himself. He humbled himself before God. Even though he was God, he humbled himself before his Father. He emptied himself. He took on the form of man. And being found in human appearance, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then we read these words in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, because of what God did, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is around these words and on this subject that we find ourselves this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles, join me in the Gospel of Luke once again. We're going to be in chapter 1 once again. We're going to be reading a section of verses that we jumped over last week as we talked about Jesus being the light of the world. And you will recall that we started this two weeks ago and we talked about Jesus being God with us. And we unfolded that a bit more last week and said, if God is with us, what does that look like? What does that entail? And we said, Jesus is light. Jesus brings clarity. Jesus brings direction to our lives. I don't know if you thought about it. I was sitting here this morning thinking about it. So many of the, the prayer requests mentioned during our sharing time this morning could be answered with the idea or the thought of Jesus coming to them as some light to them. Opening their eyes to see where they have gone astray. Opening their eyes to see the way that they should go. Bringing clarity to various people in various situations on how to proceed and how to move forward. Today, now we're going to take the next step, I think, that as we begin to see with clarity, here's what I think. As we begin to have our eyes opened to the reality of who God is, of who Jesus was when he came the first time, and of who Jesus will be when he comes the second time, I believe today we'll, we'll see some clarity as to what that means. Join me, Luke chapter 1 reading in verse 26, these familiar words. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her, the angel came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Verse 30 says, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I've entitled my sermon this morning that Jesus is Lord. 
And it based, is based on those uh, couple of verses tucked in it towards the beginning of our text this morning, verses 32 and 33. The angel comes to Mary and he says these words about Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. That's a, that's a concept very familiar with the the Hebrew people, the Jewish people. He will, the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Jesus is Lord. God, today we want to be taught by you from your word again. God, the reality is the words we've read so far and the theme that I've said, the title of the sermon that you've given to us, None of these things are new, and that's okay, because we're okay, God, with you reminding us of things that we already know, because inevitably, when you do so, you also often point out things that maybe don't line up in our life with what we already know. So perhaps... God, we must say this morning, as a body of believers, we must say, may your grace and your mercy be so prevalent today in the presence of your Holy Spirit that we might truly be taught, that we might truly arrange ourselves under Jesus our Lord. Thank you. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is one of those sermons for me where... Uh, I feel like there's a lot of things from the scriptures that uh, are fairly easily understood. There's a lot of, I just prayed it just now, there's not a lot of things that I'm going to tell you this morning that you don't already know. In fact, this title, Jesus is Lord, is probably something you're well aware of. So the, the key is, or the trick is not, or the, the, the thrust or the, the point of it is not to, to sort of present to you some things you don't already know. The point is, are you willing to walk back through some scriptures this morning that will make aware to us? this reality of who Jesus is. And more importantly, what will you do about that? The advent of Jesus Christ, the coming of Jesus Christ. He came once as a baby. He's coming again. I've told you this through the, through the series so far. We're looking back at the coming of Christ and we're looking forward to the coming of Christ. And if God is truly with us, then I believe there can be no other result that we can, there can be no other conclusion that we can come to. There can be no other result that, that comes out of our study or our thinking of what it means. So I'd like to just read some texts to you and hopefully string them together in a way that makes sense to you. And I'd ask of you to pay attention to the Word of God this morning. Once again, God spoke of these kinds of things all through the text, and there's plenty of things I could say and could read to you that I won't read to you. But my mind is drawn, or was drawn this week, to the book of Daniel. We could go to the Old Testament prophets and other places and talk about the lordship of Jesus Christ and the kingdom that's coming that was established when he came. But in the book of Daniel, if you recall, Nebuchadnezzar was the king at the time and he had this vision. And he said, I want you to tell me what this vision means. But he said, I'm not even going to tell you the vision. You have to tell me what the vision is and then you have to tell me what it means. And Daniel, of course, uh, because he was connected to the sovereign almighty God who was all-knowing, and who gave Nebuchadnezzar that vision to start with, said, I'll tell you what the vision 
meant or was, and I'll tell you what the vision meant. That vision, of course, is he saw this big giant statue, right? You recall the head of gold. You recall the silver in the chest, and you recall the bronze in the, in the belly and the thighs, and you recall the legs of iron and the feet that are mixed with iron and clay. And then you recall the rock being hewn out of the mountain coming and destroying that, uh, that, uh, that, that statue of a man. And then Daniel said, I'll tell you what it means. He began to tell them about the four nations that are represented from, from the head on down to the feet. But it's to these verses I want to come in Daniel chapter 2 in verse 44. He says, now let's talk about this rock that came. And he says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Now notice the overlay. I just read to you the, the angel coming to Mary. And Mary says, how is it going to be that I'm going to have a child? I'm a virgin. It's not possible. It's not humanly possible. And the angel says, yes, but with God, all things are possible. When God says it's going to be, then it's going to take place. The power of God will overshadow you. The power of the Most High, the Holy Spirit will come upon you so that this one who's born of you will be called the Holy One of God, which is what the angel said. Now look at the words Daniel uttered thousands of years, a thousand years before. Maybe I shouldn't say thousands. A thousand years before. I should do my math. That's probably not correct math. Scratch that phrase. But long before, the stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. What can that mean except that God is doing something that a man can't do? And during this time, he says, I will establish a kingdom and there will be a king that comes and I'll establish a kingdom that shall not be destroyed. In fact, it will bring an end to those other kingdoms. You understand why the Jewish people missed the Messiah when he came the first time, right? Because there's language like this. They well understood. They well saw the Roman world the Roman Caesar, the Roman Empire as this kingdom of iron and clay. And so they saw this. When the Messiah came, this is what he was going to do. So this concept is introduced. Jesus as Lord, Jesus as ruler, Jesus as the established, as coming and establishing a kingdom. And of course, the New Testament writers picked right up on this. When Paul opens up, I'm going to jump to the New Testament now. When Paul opens up his letter to the Romans, listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. And now we come to Jesus. Concerning his son, who was descended from David. There's the reference to David. According to the flesh, that's where he came from. And was declared to be the son of God. So from the line of David in the flesh, but was declared to be the Son of God in the power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And he ends it this way, verse 4 this way, Jesus Christ our Lord. He took together what Daniel said, I'm going to see, I, I see coming, this vision that God gave to you, Nebuchadnezzar. It's coming. And, and Paul says, I'm looking back and I saw it come. Here comes Jesus, and he was, according to the, to, the, to the human mind, he came from the line of David. He took the throne of David. But according to God, he was shown to be the Son of God because he lived, he died, and he was resurrected. And then he gives him this title, the title that we all call them all the time, and yet don't always understand how revolutionary it was at the time when these writers were calling him this. Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. Jesus, the name given to him to his, by, his, uh, to, by his parents, the angel gave his parents to give him this name, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, our Lord, the ruler, the king. He continues this, and this is important for us this morning. Is It's going to connect it to right to where we sit this morning. Because in, in the letter to the Ephesians, as Paul is writing this wonderful prayer for the believers in Ephesus, and he says, I'm praying that God would empower you, would give you strength, would give you wisdom and revelation, would have your eyes open so you may know the hope to which you've been called. And he says, thinking of this hope, this is in chapter 1 of Ephesians, thinking of this hope, the hope that you have is because of the resurrection power of God. And he talks about resurrection. He says, he has given us this great hope in Christ, and he, he, he has this power that he's going to work in you. Let me just read the verses, because it's not coming out quite right. I'm going to back up a bit and say, I'm, he says, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in, in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, and here's where I was going to pick up, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then he says this. This is what I was thinking of bringing it to us here this morning. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now let me just make sure we're connecting a few things this morning. We're looking back at the birth of Christ, the preparation they would have had to come for, the, for Jesus, for the Messiah to come. But as we look back at what happened, we see things very, we should see some things very clearly. God said, I'm going to establish a kingdom when the Messiah comes. I'm going to destroy all the other earthly kingdoms. And this kingdom will be set up to reign and rule forever. And this one who comes will be the king of that kingdom. And Paul says, God demonstrated that Jesus was that man by bringing him back up out of the grave. And then in these verses, he says, I want you to understand. He came out of the grave. He was taken back up into heaven. He's at the right hand of God. And everything is put under Jesus. Everything is put under Jesus. And in this verse, you're sitting here today. I'm guessing if, you would ask, if someone would ask you where you went this morning, you're going to say, I went to where? I went to church. So this verse applies to us. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head, Lord, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, just if we began with the idea that when Jesus came, it was God with us, once again, very logical conclusion. If God came to be with us, the one whom he came in by necessity is Lord is ruler, is, has everything under him. There can be no other way, right? Otherwise, God is not God. God can't come to be with us and, and, and stop being God in that context where everything is under his control. This is why Jesus was both God and man. Jesus is Lord. For us today, as we look back at that and the ushering in of what happened there, we now know, they didn't know so much, but we now know that this establishment of the kingdom wasn't in a physical sense, was it? It wasn't like he rode in on his horse and drove the Romans out and set up his reign and had a, a throne room and said, I'm going to sit on this throne and I will rule, though he could have done those, those things. 
But the kingdom did come, didn't it? Because suddenly blind people began to see and lame people began to walk and lepers began to get healed. Right? And people began to see things they hadn't seen before internally. People began to be, as Jesus told Nicodemus, born again, born of water and the blood. Born not of human decision or human will, but of God. The kingdom was being established. Jesus himself said those words. The kingdom is here. He's here. It's here now. Now, you know I say these things all the time, right, church? You know I say these all the time. I, I have to keep us honest. Because we can't look back and say, how did you not get that? Because we have to admit our own struggles at seeing the kingdom being at hand. Look around you. Look at the direction of our nation. Look at things happening. Do you scratch your head and say, is God's kingdom really here? But please, let's not make Jesus more of a liar today than, we make, than they were making him be back then. Jesus is Lord. He demonstrated at every turn. We could, go, we could walk through the Gospels this morning and just find evidence after evidence after evidence that Jesus was Lord. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord over death. Lazarus, come out, right? This is before the crucifixion and resurrection. He is Lord over the affairs. You would have no power over me, Pilate, except that what's given to you. They didn't take his life. You know this already, right? He laid down his life. He is Lord. And going to the grave and coming out of that grave resurrected, put the stamp of approval on. We have to continue here. But as we, as we think of Jesus being Lord and the kingdom being established, we still know, however, that what we are longing for is more reality of Jesus' kingdom. In the flesh reality. Physical reality. And I can tell you this morning, as certainly as the word proclaimed that what Jesus did the first time was bringing God's kingdom to us, the word proclaims the same thing, that Jesus the king is still coming. Once again, by the way, we can go back and start this thread or this journey in the book of Daniel. Did you know that Daniel has another vision? You probably know this. Daniel has lots of things to say about the end times. But Daniel has another vision. In the night, he has this vision. He again sees four beasts. He again knows or comes to find out there are about four nations. But this time, I think he might be talking about something different than in chapter 2. When it's talking about the ushering in of the kingdom when Jesus came as a baby. Because this time, in Daniel chapter 7, we're going to read these verses. In verse 13, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. You see so many similarities, right? So many similar, same kinds of sounding things. You also see a few differences. Notice the one phrase that I have highlighted up there. In Daniel's vision, now he sees, behold, instead of a rock being hewn from a mountain, he sees the clouds of heaven, there came one of a son of man. Now, what does that make you think of? You know what it makes me think of? It makes me think, excuse me, makes me think of some men standing on, on the mount and Jesus is ascending up into heaven away from them and the angel comes to him and says, why do you stand there looking, men of Galilee? Just as you saw 
Jesus go, he's going to return to you. You see, I think we're talking about something different. In fact, if you were to read, I don't have time to read it for you this morning. If you were to read Daniel chapter 7, you would understand that some of the things that he says about those nations, the four, the four nations there, and the, particularly the last one, have some very uh, Antichrist, capital A kinds of things going on in them. Now, there were Antichrist, lowercase a stuff happening with Rome, too. Don't get me wrong. But much more in line with what we read in the book of Revelation about the end times before Jesus' second coming. So I think that's what's happening in that, in that text. There is a coming king. And again, the same kind of language. He was given dominion. He's given glory. He's given a kingdom. The kingdom will not end. Once again, I'm going to flip to the New Testament because Paul once again picks up on this very same theme. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he pens some of what I think are the most powerful words of the Lordship of Jesus Christ based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Read the entire chapter. We don't have time this morning. We can't, uh, we can't take time to deviate that, that long. Read the entire chapter this week because I think it has everything to do to prepare our hearts for Jesus' second coming based on the reality of the resurrection of Christ. But in fact, Christ has been raised, he says in, in verse 20 of chapter 15. I'm going to read now in verse 22. For as in Adam all die. Remember, Jesus is light and brings clarity to us, and that's one of those all-time clarifying statements I think that should be crystal clear in our heads. For as in Adam all die. What does that mean about you and I? What does that mean about you and I, church? Are you an Adam? Yes, you are. You will die. But as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Listen, can I just say something? I appreciated, Chris, your prayer this morning. I said something about this last week, I think. I appreciate it. I heard it in your prayer again this morning. I, without a doubt, I understand, like, this season is difficult, particularly for people who have lost loved ones. Maybe it's the first Christmas without that person. Maybe it's the second. Maybe it's the 10th or 20th, and it still hurts sometimes. But can I encourage you this morning, the light of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus Christ must bring us to places where we do not, as scripture says, grieve as the world grieves, but we have a hope. This verse, take it to the bank, this verse will come true. It's, it's, it was made true back then, but we'll see the reality of this verse made true. Everything will be put under his feet. All those things we count as enemies under Jesus' feet. And the last of those to be destroyed is death. The grave will not have a hold on you. It already doesn't. But you'll see the reality of that. I pray that, that those words alone, the lordship of Jesus Christ in the, the realm of death alone can bring you some comfort and some peace during this time. But of course, most of what we think about the advent of Jesus Christ coming again, we find out or is revealed to us in the book of Revelation, an entire book given to us. And again, we could go all over the place, but I want to read some selections. I want to hear especially from Jesus himself as he reveals himself to John and then uh, talk about a few, read some, some, te some text for you. When John first sees Jesus 
in the book of Revelation, in John chapter 1, verse 17, he falls at his feet as though dead. But Jesus lays his right hand on him, on him, and he's writing this in first person. So Jesus says these words, and hear the Lordship. See all the phrases of Lordship. Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. He goes on to say some other things. He has a message to the churches. And if you would read those messages to the churches, almost every single one of them, he precedes at the beginning with some language that says something about him being Lord. I'm the one who holds the seven stars, the seven lampstands. I'm the, uh, the, I have the sharp two-edged sword. I have flames of, uh, eyes like flames of fire whose feet are burnished bronze. Um, I know, and he says everyone over again, I know this about you. I know. Those are words of lordship, of Jesus being in control, of Jesus being the King of kings and Lord of lords. Make sure I'm in the right place here. I'd like to read just a couple of verses for you as you progress through Revelation. I don't put it, I'm not going to put them up on the screen. I want you to simply hear them. As the Revelation continues and John begins to see all kinds of awful things, all kinds of unspeakably awful things, he then comes to this incredible scene in chapter 19 where finally the church and Jesus, the bride and bridegroom, get to be together. But I want you to hear these words, Revelation chapter 19. I don't want you to see them. I, well, you can look in your Bible if you want to, but I want you to hear them. I want you to hear the picture that John is painting of Jesus when he comes. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful capital F, and true, capital T. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. And what is it, church? King of kings and Lord of lords. I think you should say that again with a lot more passion and vigor and emphasis than you just did. What is his name given to him, written on him as he comes again the second time? King of kings and Lord of lords. Make no mistake, this day is coming. As we continue the unfolding revelation, we read some verses already. The other weeks of this, we're going to come right back. I'm going to go all the way to the end because Jesus, as he's wrapping this together, he says these words, Revelation 22, verse 12 and 13, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense, my payment with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And just a few short verses later, he says this. And again, notice it's going to connect all the way back to all the stuff we've been reading already. I, Jesus, he says, have sent you my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. 
Jesus came and was God with us. Jesus came and was the light, brought clarity, brought deliverance, brought direction for us, helped us to see who he is, who God is, who we are, how desperately we need, how far short fulfilling the law falls at pleasing God because we can never do it perfectly. How much we need the grace and mercy, how much we need deliverance and redemption, how much we need a redeemer to come. The light came. He came as the Lord because when God comes to be with us, he can be nothing but the Lord. And all the things I just said are equally and somehow yet even more true when Jesus is going to come again. Which leads me to say, I think the most important thing standing before us this morning or presented to us this morning that you and I should be thinking about is if the light has come to us with enough clarity to understand that Jesus is Lord and he's coming soon and bringing his recompense with him, repaying everyone for what he has done. You see, I don't know, what, what, is, what do phrases like that do to you? Are they comforting? Or are they terrifying? If enough light has come to us to understand without any doubt, the, with all clarity, without any distinction, without any quivering back and forth or wavering of any kind, to understand that Jesus unequivocally is Lord, Master, King of Kings, Boss, whatever words you want to use, then the question to me is, what am I going to do about that? How am I going to respond to that? And I suggest for you the question is the same. I further suggest to you that the answer is actually found in the original text I read to you about Mary being told that she's going to have a baby boy. Because at the end of that text, Mary says the most amazing words. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Behold, let me present to you. Let it be true. Take note. All those things come from that Greek word, idu. Take note. Maybe just as much for her own benefit as for the angel's benefit, I would suggest to you. Take note. Let it be known to my own heart. I am the servant of the Lord. I am the one who was to be obedient I am the one who is to be submissive. I am the one who is to be humble. I am the one who is to be lowered. I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's it. That's it. So simple and yet so unbelievably difficult. Because of our own pride and selfishness and God complex that we have. That's it. God, if Jesus is Lord, then let him be Lord. Let him be Lord in my life. May it be to me as you've said. Now, children, it's a good time for a story. It's a good time for an illustration. It won't be as much a story, but an illustration. 
If you'd like to come sit up here, we again have lots of room on the bench today. So if you want to sit up here on these benches, I would love that. Today, I don't have so much a story as I have an illustration for you, an object lesson. It will be for you, and it will be for all those adults sitting behind you as well. I want you to sit there and face me so I know that you're looking at me and you're paying attention to me. Now, just to see if any of you have been paying attention, today I'm talking about one thing about Jesus, that Jesus is what? Zach? He's the Lord. Can someone give me another word for Lord so we understand what Lord is? What does Lord mean? What does it mean to be Lord? Do you know? Uh, Ollie, let's start with you. What's another word for Lord? Do you know what Lord means? Give me a word that we all understand. Ben. Christ? Yeah. Um, Sophia. Above all. Yeah, but those are all words we don't always use. Eliza? King. That's a good word. Yeah, Jesus. That's, that's what we're talking. I want to use the word boss. You guys know what a boss is, right? Like sometimes we look at each other and we say, you're being so bossy. Well, maybe you don't ever do that, but I hear some kids sometimes that do that. You know what that means? That means you're trying to tell me what to do and I don't like it, right? But you know, I wish I could tell you something otherwise, but the Bible actually tells us that's exactly who Jesus is to us, that he gets to be. Now, when we say bossy, we mean like it in a bad way. And Jesus is never bossy in a bad way, but Jesus does get to be our boss. He gets to tell us what to do. Now, I went, hold on. I want you guys to sit this way and face me, not face out that way. Can you sit, can you sit there and face me? Because I want to make sure you're listening to me, not paying attention to your friends down there or being a distraction to them. So one of the things that we haven't talked about today that is really important is if we are going to, if we're going to let Jesus be our boss, then we have to trust him, right? We have to be convinced that he's not going to lead us somewhere we don't want to go or somewhere that's going to be like the end of us or that he's, we're going to have to be convinced that he's going to take care of us, right? I'd like to give us an, 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 a lesson of that today of trusting. So I'm going to need a volunteer, but before you raise your hand, I need to make sure that if, you're, if you want to volunteer, that you are brave and that you trust me and that you know the difference between right and left because you kind of have to know that. So do I have anybody who's brave and trusts me and knows the difference between right and left? <laughs> do, you want, do you want to come? Come. You can come up here. Agatha, I brought a blindfold with me. Have you ever been blindfolded before? All right, so you know what this is, what this is going to be like. I'm going to have you come right here, and I'm going to have you face out this way, and I'm going to blindfold you, and then I'm going to, I'm going to tell you ahead of time what I'm going to do, okay? So I'm going to lead you around the stage, and you won't be able to see, so you have to just listen to my voice. And it's to illustrate that we have to trust in Jesus that when he tells us to do things or leads us in certain ways, that we will go where he goes, where he tells us to go, even if we don't know why or for sure what. Now, you're going to have to be honest with me as I give you, make, give you blindfold that you can't see. So can you see it all? I can't see. You can't see at all? If that changes, you have to let me know right away because I don't want you cheating. <laughs> now, you can still hear me, right? I didn't do this test, but since you're blindfolded now, um, can you lift up your right hand so I know you know which way right is? 
where's your right hand? That's very good. And your left hand is the other side, right? Okay. Now, um, I think I might make this a little tighter so that it doesn't slip off. Now, I know we usually have to do these kind of things to make sure that you don't know where you're going. So I'm going to have to turn you around a couple times. Now, God doesn't make us dizzy. But sometimes we feel like we're a little like that in our lives. Do you have any idea where you're at now? Okay. Now, you can't see, right? So I'm going to try to give you instructions as clearly as I can and help make sure that you don't bump into anything. So can you slowly walk forward, straight forward? Okay, now stop. Turn to your left a little bit. Do you know which way is left? Hold up your left. Yep, there you go. Turn, just, just turn your body. Don't move. Just, yep, just turn your body a little more. Turn your body a little more. Now take one big step forward. Now take one kind of big step forward. Now slowly, can you know how to shuffle your feet? Can you like shuffle a little bit? Just shuffle forward, straight forward. Can you go forward a little bit? Yeah, go forward, go forward. Oh, stop, stop. Now I want you to turn left again. Yep, don't just, yep, don't go forward. Just turn, there you go. Now walk three steps. One, two, three. Now the rest of you have to be quiet because she has to be able to hear my voice, right? Sometimes I'm like right next to you, right? So take one like, like, take a big step like you're stepping over a big, big obstacle, like a big log. There you go. Oh, your other foot must have hit it. That's okay. Sometimes I'm a lot further away, right? So I don't know if you can still hear me or not, but now I want you to walk over towards where, I, where I'm at. Can you walk my, my direction? Walk straight forward. Straight forward. Walk faster. Walk faster. 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 Oh, stop. Stop. You see, sometimes the illustration for us, children and adults, is that we don't always understand why God tells us to do the things that he tells us to do, right? To respond the way we're supposed to. We can't always see what's in front of us. Now, I want you to turn right. Turn right. Go forward two steps. Oop. Turn right a little bit. Right. Right. Now, stop right there. Can you step back just a bit? Back up just a little bit. Now, hold on. I'm going to tell you something, okay? I'm going to test to see if you really trust me or not. Because when I tell you to, I want you to sit down. Just like you would normally sit down. Don't feel. You can't check. You just have to sit down. Okay? Are you ready to try it? Okay, I want you to sit down. Oh. You did a great job. Let me take your blindfold off. You did a nice trick on me. Did you see that? You were supposed to sit in the chair, but you did a smart thing. You went like this. You guys give her a hand. I should have specified that you can't sit down. You can't cross your legs. But now, children, all of that, all of that to help you see that if Jesus is truly Lord, then he gets to tell us what to do. Even if we don't understand it, even if we don't know why, even if we're not completely sure where we're going to end up, we are to trust him and respond with obedience to walk in his ways. That's the lesson for today. 
I know it doesn't seem like a Christmas lesson, but I would tell you it has everything to do about Christmas because it's when God sent his son, the Lord, into our world. And the first thing we should know about that is that when God came to be with us, he didn't stop being God. He's still our boss. All right, go have a seat. Thank you for being up here and paying attention. Doubtlessly, if the Holy Spirit does what he always does, I know there are some of us sitting here today who are thinking to ourselves, if we're at all aware at all, are thinking to ourselves that I know a point in my life when that was just like me. When I wasn't sure what I was being asked to do or what I was supposed to be doing or how to respond for sure, I didn't think I wanted to. It didn't make any sense at all. But I had to face a choice. Am I going to do it or am I not going to do it? You know, Mary was exactly in that spot, right? It seems like a great, wonderful thing. And great praise comes out of her mouth when she sings what we call the Magnificat just a couple of verses later. At the same time, we recognize that she was being asked to become pregnant and give birth to a child she wasn't married at the time. There was all kinds of scandal going on. I'm guessing even to Jesus' crucifixion date, there were still some people that, I'm not, I'm not even guessing, there were still some people who did not believe that he was born of the Holy Spirit, but that he was born out of sin. Many times in our lives, it just seems to be the way that God works, that he asks us to do things that are not fun. Many times in our lives, when the Lord brings circumstances around, they're not ones that we would have chosen ourselves. Many times in our lives, when it feels or seems like God is asking us, now we don't usually get angels. It would, sometimes we think it would be a lot easier to have it, but we have the word of God. And I'm reminded often, my wife helps remind me often, uh, she, well, I'll just say, uh, that, that, that there's lots of clear instructions here that don't always make sense to me either. And I struggle following them. Are you and I willing this morning that whatever's in our heads, wherever the Holy Spirit is taking us, whatever is right now current in our life that we think maybe doesn't make a whole lot of sense or isn't how we'd like it to be, are we willing to say the words of Mary? Jesus, your Lord, and I'm your servant. So whatever you have laid out for me, let it be so. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I think you and I should be serious enough about it that we might even, in fact, give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to point out anything in our life that we have been heretofore unwilling to let the Lord have his way. So God, as we pause and close our eyes here at the end of the service, as we contemplate the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, the advent of Christ, the reality of his first coming, but the reality and the reality of his second coming. We put ourselves in a place where we thank you for the grace and mercy that you've allowed us to be in and to be here this morning. And we look to you and say, God, is there something in my life? Is there any situation where I am not allowing you to be Lord? Is there some place where I'm still in the driver's seat? Is there some area that I'm still on the throne because I still want to do this? I still want to hang on to this. I still want to feel like this. I still want to have this take place. I don't want to look like this. I don't want people to say this. I don't want to spend my time doing that. I want to spend my time doing this. 
I want us to look at that. I don't think it's, I haven't agreed with you that it's necessary to get rid of this. I'm not willing, I'm not willing to look like that in front of those people. I know I should go ask for their forgiveness, but they hurt me more and I think they should come to me first. Brothers and sisters, friends, this morning as we're bowed before the Lord, will you ask the Holy Spirit those questions? God, in your grace as we are before you, we, I invite you, Holy Spirit, to be working and active this morning. It's a, it's a crucial place for us. It's a very crucial place for us. For when we become aware of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, when it becomes so obvious to us, Jesus, that you are in charge, that you will be in charge, that you are the judge of all of mankind, that you will come and you, you say you're coming soon, and we believe that. You're coming soon, and you will judge the quick and the dead. When that becomes obvious to us, God, when we become aware of that, God, then it's a crucial moment for us to decide what we'll do. Maybe it's on a grand scope this morning for someone. God, maybe it's on a, just a tiny little thing that we have just not allowed. We've just not let go yet. We've just not allowed. We've just not laid ourselves down before you. But I pray this morning, God, for the grace to have a Mary-like attitude that looks to you now with sincerity, with authenticity, and says, Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. May you have your way in me, God. In some sense, God, it's almost a mockery if we're going to pretend to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and deny his lordship in our life coming weeks, as we celebrate, as we have good times together, as we are with family, or we're doing whatever we, we, we normally do, we just, whatever it might be, and Lord, this comes both on the, when we're having a great time side, as well as when, when we're struggling and we're not feeling so good side. Both of those sides, it's so necessary for us to allow you to be Lord of our lives, to lead us to be in charge of our hearts and our minds. Thank you, Father. And I pray this morning for those who have, have a desire and have followed through on that desire to say to you those words that I am your servant, God. May it be to me as you've said. I pray that uh, for those that you would just pour and out fresh, a uh, fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that you would, it would and maybe not just, just confirm to them that that is the, that, as only you can do, God, that that is the, the step you want them to take. That is the, the motion, the movement you want them to take. As they respond to your mercy, may you give them your grace, God, to enable them to follow through, to lay those things down, to give up control, to unclench our fist, to change our mind, to agree, to repent. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that's paid for by Jesus Christ. Thank you for this great subject we can talk about next week. We praise you. We love you in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand this morning? It would seem to me appropriate, certainly if it's your desire this morning, it would seem to me appropriate to just bless you with words from Scripture. So I pray, Father, that strongholds in our lives that set themselves up against the knowledge of God would be torn down, that every thought could be captive to Jesus Christ as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.